0: This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 778 with Cindy Muchnick. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 778. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. Cindy Muchnick is a graduate of Stanford University and has been working in education for the past 25 years as a former assistant director of college admission, a high school teacher, an educational consultant, and the author of five other education-related books. Her essays have appeared in Zibi Magazine, Your Teen Magazine, College Confidential, Raising Teens Today, The LA Times, and The Mom Experience, among others. She's also an experienced and always learning mother of three sons and a daughter ages 16 to 25. Woo, she has been through it. If you've gotten three kids to that age group, you've done your work. Cindy speaks professionally to parent, student, teacher, and business groups on topics such as study skills, the adolescent journey, college admission, and now the Parent Compass Movement. Listen in to hear Cindy share why she decided to write a book about college and college admissions in the wake of the college admissions scandal of 2019, what a parent compass is, and how to find and follow your true north as a parent, the significance of truly seeing the child that you have and not maybe inauthentically trying to create the child that you want, when and how to help your child be a self advocate at school and how to be open to all the options that your child might have after high school, whether it's a four-year degree, a gap year, pursuing a fine art or trade or community college option. There's so many things out there. And I think sometimes we get really kind of pigeonholed into what we see most prominently in our most immediate circles or really tight inner communities. And when we step back and listen and learn from other folks, we can see that there's many options. The scope is much wider and broader than we might've once thought. And there might be some really great things out there for our kids that position them really well to be successful as adults and allow them to reach their dreams in the way that is most true and authentic and really profound for them. So, I think you're gonna learn a lot from this conversation. You're gonna wanna be taking notes whether or not you have a child who might be on that kind of precipice of entering college, or you have a younger child like me, and you're just wanting to think about how to frame certain things. I know that. Vinnie being in the private education system, there's like already talk amongst fourth graders about what college they're going to go to. And it's really interesting to me how, while that can seem a little exciting, I also think there's some drawbacks to kids thinking that they're really clearly on a sp- very specific path from a very early age, because I think there can be longer term ramifications for that, that maybe don't always set a child up to be successful in the ways that are really best for that child. So I think you're going to learn a lot in this episode. Cindy has a lot to share. So with all that, let's go ahead and dive in with Cindy Muchnick. Cindy, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here.
1: I am so happy to be with you, Sarah. I've been looking forward to this for a
0: very long time. Oh, me too. And you were like so patient and persistent. Like, hey, how about a podcast interview? And I was like, yes, let's do that. And then you're like, hey, how about scheduling that podcast interview? <laughs> like, Sometimes we, like, yeah, we're, we're get good on it. it. Like
1: <laughs> once you said yes, I knew you wanted me. So then I felt like I could, you know, pester you a little bit, but no problem. I don't <laughs> yeah, mind being persistent. Yeah.
0: No, you were so great. You were so great. So we're going to dive right in. Tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now.
1: So gosh, that's a loaded question. I am a, I guess, a proud and exhausted mother of four. Um, I have a 24 year old, a 22 year old, a 18 year old and a 16 year old. And so I've been in the trenches kind of as a mom of tweens and teens for a pretty long time. And I'm almost there, the lights at the end of the tunnel um, towards the kind of, wouldn't call it the end point, but just the next stage. And in terms of what I'm, I think, most proud of, I mean, I would say, you know, surviving and, and raising these four kids with my husband and partner of 28 years is something I'm pretty proud of. It's not always easy. it's um, overwhelming. and even though they say little kids little problems, big kids, big problems, things just pop up even when your kids are no longer under your under your roof. and um, so I, I feel excited about a little bit of you know more balance in my life, but I also feel like together my husband and I have really rolled up our sleeves and committed, to doing the best we can do in, you know, not just providing, but just trying to raise nice people who can kind of learn from their mistakes. And, and hopefully, when we talk about it today, we've done our best to try to follow our parent compass as much as possible. Again, it doesn't happen all the time. You know, as we know, being parents, there's lots of gray areas and split decisions yes. we make that we might regret afterwards. So totally.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about getting kids into college. This is like a really interesting, so I'm not there yet. Vinny's 10 and a half, like we have a little bit of time, but it is really interesting to me when I was 10 and a half, I was definitely not thinking about college. My 10 and a half year old definitely is thinking about college. So it's interesting to me. And it's not because I am like, we need to start thinking about this Mm -hmm. culturally. It's Mm -hmm. interesting how messaging around college and pressure around college has shifted and changed and evolved since I was there back in 1994. So can you talk a little bit about um, how you decided to focus on this as your topic for your book?
1: So it, it helps if I back up a tiny bit and tell you that for about 15, let's see, my first career out of college was I worked in college admissions. So I sat on the other side of the table reading applications. And then I became a private college counselor for close to 20 years, working with tweens and teens high schoolers, you know, culminating in the college admission process. So I've been through the process hundreds of times, shoulder to shoulder with students going through it. And students of every level, I might add, kids that are shooting for super competitive colleges and then kids that are just thrilled to go to college. So I've kind of seen a wide range. My co-author, Jen Curtis, she also is an independent college counselor. So the two of us together have like over 30 years of experience and kind of going through that journey. But what's interesting are two things that the comment you just made. The first is we did not write this book as a how to get into college book. It's not the kind of book The Parent Compass is. The Parent Compass was written actually... Indirectly, as a reaction to the college admission scandal, which came out in 2019, when these the Operation Varsity Blues, when these insane parents and very entitled parents were overstepping and breaking the law to get their kids into what they thought were magical schools that would change their lives, et cetera, and you know, people ended up in jail, people were cheating and pretend, you know, having test scores altered, um, pretending their kids were athletes when they weren't. I mean, it just. If you don't know about the college admission scandal, you've been probably living under a rock, but it's Google it and you'll learn all about it. So we viewed that as kind of the OJ Simpson car chase of our careers and just disgusting and offensive and horrifying for the students primarily. And what message this was giving them from their parents, that their parents felt they weren't capable of applying to colleges on their own in a legitimate, honest, ethical way. So we wrote this book to protect the teens and to teach the parents how to better behave, how to stay inside their lane. And um, it really began as a parent etiquette book to teach better parenting behavior. We do have a chapter in the book on how to approach the college admission process while following your parent compass. And I'll, we're going to talk about what a parent compass is. But while you know, doing it in a way that allows our students to have um, intact mental health, which is really hard to come by these days when mental health is another enormous crisis in our planet, um, especially in teenage girls, but also to preserve the parent teen relationship because we saw so many fractured relationships that were coming into our offices where kids were breaking down and telling us things confidentially about their parents or about ways that their parents were harming them out of a place of love, but not allowing them to speak for themselves, not allowing them to self-advocate, not allowing them to choose what colleges or activities or to make any choices or have any, you know, individuality in their own lives. So the parent compass was meant to be a remedy to that. That being said, you made this comment about your 10 year old being very aware of colleges. So, the history of college admissions, something very interesting happened. And when you said you were applying in 1994, you know, in um, the 1990s, colleges became branded businesses. They started hiring PR firms to um, sell these schools, these businesses to their consumer customers, students. They were sending out Free clothing and free t-shirts and getting kids to sign up for things and creating, um, you know, these really cool interactive applications and kind of trying to lure their customers so that they could improve their yield. Um, They could improve the number of students that applied to their schools and the number of students they were able to deny. And by doing that, it would increase their ranking on the U.S. News and World Report, which also came out around that time with college rankings. So parents became obsessed with these rankings students it trickled down, they became obsessed with these rankings and kids started becoming very aware of where they went to college as being this mark of, you know, whether they were successful or not. And so suddenly there was just this small magic list that some magazine or some newspaper was trying to put together. And parents and students were just focusing on that small list. Like that's the only way I'll be happy if I go to one of these schools. And so Our job, Jen and I especially, but also any ethical admissions counselor will tell you it's not about where you go. It's about what you do while you're there and it's about fit. So, you know, there's just not enough spots in this system. On top of it, the common application came out. So that meant that students applied to, you know, 25 colleges instead of 10 because it was easier to just check more boxes. And with COVID, optional testing came out. So then more kids could apply because- i just did. learned about this optional testing, yep. which kind of blew my mind, right? They didn't have to send an ACT or SAT score. So suddenly they're like, well, maybe I'll apply to even more colleges because of that. And because of COVID, lots of kids are taking gap years. So then those kids eventually wanted to go back into the system and reapply. And then the system became so congested. I mean, colleges didn't create more space on any campuses. In fact, they were trying to almost overfill the space because of probably Mm -hmm. all the lost revenue. But anyway, you know, from COVID, the bottom line on all of it is um, I understand why 10 year olds might be aware of college names much more because think about it. They've seen bumper stickers. They've seen sweatshirts. They have sports teams that they follow that support different Mm -hmm. colleges and colleges are businesses. I mean, first and foremost, they're businesses that are trying to fill their classrooms with with a variety of kinds of students. And so I think the key, when you say it didn't come from us, you know, we're not pushing him in any direction is to say like, oh yeah, it's going to be so great. You'll have an opportunity to do that. Let's enjoy middle school right now. Then let's enjoy Mm -hmm. high school. And then let's Mm -hmm. explore that part of your journey and really keep it, you know, very mellow and what they hear out of your mouth. I mean, truly, if you have the bumper stickers and you're wearing the sweatshirts and there's so much, I mean, I did this probably the wrong way with my first child. Cause we got the little bib with our college name on it. And we got
2: the little, Oh, I mean, when you ee-e-e.
0: come from, I went the to Gonzaga. I mean, like there's a ton of pride in that. And then of Gonzaga course. became like a huge basketball school. And Absolutely. while I was there and all of a sudden it's like, well, but like, I need all the cute things. Of course you do. So yeah. you know, he's like so fully well. doctrinated. Like he's going to Gonzaga. And I'm like, I oh, know who's paying. For well, this? there's a fine line. it turns out, I, I don't have $77,000 for Gonzaga. <laughs> I'm well, four. And, and it may not be the right school for him in the end. either. I, and, and totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, so I think interesting. tempering it and telling our kids that look, You know, it was very different when we applied and it was Mm -hmm. not nearly as competitive and hard as it is now. And the reality is there are 4,000 different colleges out there, two-year colleges, four-year colleges, you know, community colleges. There's a lot of options and a lot of different. It's fine,
0: Cindy, because he already has a backup school, he told me. So we're good.
1: Oh no, don't even
0: tell me. I've never said the word backup school. I'm like, where did this come from? Wow. Wow.
1: All right. You might be in for a run for your money, Sarah. I don't know. I
0: know. Oh my God. No, this is super helpful. And so I want to, I actually, we're going to get into some other parenting pieces in just a minute, it'll probably help me with this okay. process, dissect okay. this process a little bit more, but can you talk about the parent compass and what that is before we That's go further? Right. So That's I think that right. will also really help.
1: Yes. Okay. So what is a parent compass? So a parent compass was sort of this term that my co-author Jen Curtis, and I came up with that really is a way to check yourself as a parent. It's a way to kind of measure like what's your true North as a mom or a dad or a caretaker. And how can you try to follow that in service of your teenager or child? And it's a reminder that we have been teenagers already ourselves. We got to choose. We got to make our own journey. And now it's our kid's turn. It's not our turn to vicariously live our lives through them in the ways that we wish we could have lived ours. And it's very, very hard to follow a parent compass. It's doable because we put a whole we put a whole plan together for you in a book. And people do say that they can read the book over the weekend. And on Monday, they can start putting in their practice and following their parent compass. But it is a practice and it takes some bravery and some courage to follow because what it asks of you is to do some very deep self-examination as a parent. And we could talk a little bit more about that. And then it asks of you to follow these not quite rules, but these suggestions that are really data-driven and science-based about ways that we can parent that don't manage and helicopter and tiger, but ways that parent in order to help our kids become and grow into these individuals that we want them to be. I mean, we all want nice kids. We all want kids that will contribute in this world. We don't want stressed out, freaking out, mentally unstable, unhealthy kids, but it's happening. And part of the reason that bad stuff is happening is because of parents who think they're showing love to their kids by fixing things and doing everything for them and kind of steamrolling their lives and also like, you know, laying out everything for them and not having their kids have to learn how to fail or how to navigate or how to speak to their teachers one-on-one or whatever these skills are that we'd like to help teach them. By doing them for our kids, we're taking that opportunity away. And what are we left with? These really helpless, listless, unhappy kids who can't speak for themselves and who don't feel like they've had a choice in their journey. So the parent compass is to kind of try to rein us all in help us check ourselves. Jen actually got me a little necklace of the compass. I'm not wearing it today, but I wear it a lot as my tangible reminder to kind of keep following that. And so the book takes you through the plan of how to follow it. It's not hard to do, and it may not all work for everyone, but several of these chapters will resonate and you'll say, Oh, got it. Okay. I'm not doing that. Let me try it this way and see if I have more success. And what we're hearing is people are having more success. So now we're hoping it's like a movement. Like let's follow the parent compass movement and let's put our parent compass hat on and and do the best we can in that way. So,
0: oh my gosh, I love it so much. I'm thinking about a conversation I had with a friend a few months ago and where we had this realization and talking through some things especially kind of how things had happened for our kids during the pandemic and the ages that they happened to be where we were like, oh my gosh, we're not raising resilient kids. Like because of all of these, I mean, the pandemic overall probably, or not probably did create resiliency in a lot of different ways, but there was a whole bunch of things that didn't happen. And one of the really specific things for kids in my child's age group was like, there was no homework for two years. And there was like school just looked really different. And because we were trying to be like empathetic and compassionate about this global pandemic, which made a lot of sense. But then we were like, but our kids now like cannot sit and do like boring homework. And they have no, like no academic resiliency because they haven't had to practice that. And we were like, Oh my God, where we go wrong.
1: <laughs> well, no, I I say, it's interesting that you brought that up because I would be interested to know how life might've improved without homework. That's maybe a different podcast yeah, and about this because yeah, I think there and- are some benefits to not, you know, forcing that, you know, our kids are, we're sitting in front of monitors for eight hours and they still are sitting in classrooms for eight hours. That's a lot of time right. to be sitting still. And so I sort of have mixed views on homework. You know, kids tell me, you know, homework is boring. Homework is doesn't teach me anything. That's not, I think there's a place and a time for it, but I do think that, you know, whatever, if you have to learn the French or German or English or whatever vocabulary words, there's no way around it. You have to memorize and learn the words, but right, to right. do this kind of busy work. That's just to kind of totally just kind of fill in time. To me, the kids are better spending an hour engaging with their parents or, you know, going on a run or unplugging, taking a nap. Like, you know, there's just other uses and to exhaust them with, you know, lopping on all this extra work to me is also maybe takeaway from COVID is do they really need as much of that. I think they need to close the loop, right? Because you're learning stuff in a classroom. You want to reinforce it at home and be sure you can do it on your own at home. And then if you have any questions, you can bring it back the next day. I mean, that's in very simplistic terms, but these weird things started happening at my kid's school where they were like, not quite flipping the classroom, but saying like, here's math class. Here's a packet. Do the packet with your friends in class. And if you have any questions, just ask the teacher who's at the front of the class, like, on Facebook or something. I mean, I was blown away. I was like, what happened to like the teacher teaching at the board? You know, like, or what if, couldn't you have a choice to have the math taught at the board for the kids who want to learn that way? And then the exploratory learning for the kids who think that would be neat to kind of figure out the theorems together by working as a team. And So some weird structural things I think happened certainly at our school, but I've also talked to people at other schools saying, yeah, they started doing all kinds of weird stuff because COVID, you know, was telling them to flip the classroom, like have the kids watch videos at home and do stuff at home. And then let's talk about it in the classroom. And so I just think like I'm very old school and I know there's a lot of educational theory about doing things differently. But I mean, I just like pen and paper. I like notebooks. I like less technology in the classroom. Technology has a place for sure. And so many amazing things about it. Thank God we had it during COVID. But I do think that, you know, yeah, we're, there was some scrambling, there was some gaps. And when you say your son didn't have homework, part of me thinks like, actually, yeah, I mean, they don't have that muscle built. Like you said, they don't have the resilience to kind of say, okay, let me slug through this for an hour and get through this problem set or whatever it is my teacher's asking me to do. I think they seem just more fatigued, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. swear it's like, So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune, tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. I'm generally not a homework before middle school, but there were certain things that we saw coming out of COVID where because of kind of the structure of I mean, our school did a phenomenal job. I'm very so grateful to we where we were. But it was just some things where we were like, oh, like these kids had to practice certain things. Yeah. They haven't had to do repet like multiplication facts, for example, or things like that, where it's like, yeah. oh, like this is something to practice it for 10 minutes of night is even if you hate it and you think it's boring, like right. sometimes you have to practice doing things that are boring. And definitely. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the parent compass, as you're talking about it and helicopter snowplow and tiger parenting. Yeah. So can you talk about what those three different pieces look like? Sure. And how they can work?
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of different, how we can work. So, so the helicopter parent, we sort of know is the one that's just like hovering mm. all the time. It's just kind of a whole, you know, like a helicopter hovering low over everything and just taking too close a look. And you know, checking the portal every day and just being way too involved, kind of micromanaging. And the tiger one is like got the reputation of just kind of being, if anyone read the tiger mom book, I mean, just, you know, super strict, super rigid, super structured. That can sometimes also be called a militaristic parent because those are the ones that are like, running the home like the military um type thing. And then what was the other one that we that you asked the me about? Snowplow snow plow is like kind of wiping the way in front of them so that there is no obstacle along the way. And you've kind of cleared it all out of the way. So the kids just coast through and skate through pretty much everything. So there's problems with all of those kinds of parents, right? And oftentimes the way we identify them and you don't even have to put a particular labor on yourself is you know you go to back to school night or I guess back to school night on Zoom and it's the, or you're at a sideline of any sports event and you turn to your partner or your friend and you go, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to be that parent. I don't want to be that parent. Why do you not want to be that parent? Because they're the one going crazy, yelling at the kids or yelling at the coach, or they're the one asking the totally inappropriate question at back to school night that only has to do with their kid and their particular needs. And they're the ones talking to the kids, teachers in high school. And it's like, no, you've totally missed the memo here that like, this is about our kids figuring out their next chapters and learning all these important skills that they have to learn before they leave for college or before they leave for the real world, whatever it is they have next. If they don't learn how to speak for themselves or how to feel what that failure or what that hard, hard, hard test was like, you know, if we're tutoring and we're over involved and we're fixing and we're making their appointments for them and we're doing, you know, we're the one at Staples late at night or Office Depot getting the supplies, they're not going to feel the sort of the sting of what it is to just grow and take care of those things yourself. And there's a lot of pride that comes with that, right? So when your kid comes home and says, gosh, I, you know, I worked so hard on that test, but you know, I don't think I did very well. You can say, I saw how hard you worked. I don't care how you did on the test. I saw the time you put in. And I know you worked hard because I helped quiz you on those index cards or I saw you in your study group or whatever it is. And if we celebrate that journey and not focus so much on like the reward of the grade or or what that means, you know, parents freak out and they think your kid's never going to get into college if they don't get an A. And that's just It's not true. You know, like, I don't know, having a B and having a C at times is really, really healthy. And for some kids, a B is a huge celebration. I mean, that is like Mm -hmm. the best they can do. So we need to understand and appreciate that kid in front of us and really stop competing with the parents around us. I mean, there's this term, these parents, they're competitive parents. Competitive parenting is now a term where you are using your child as a trophy to hold up to the parent next door and who's better at this and who's better at that and who's done more for their kid. And doing more tends to come from a place of love because you feel like you're being helpful, but doing more, hiring the coaches and paving the way and hovering too much and And all of that fixing everything is actually stripping our kids of that resilience, of that independence, of that ability to do things for themselves. And I think it sends such a sad, awful message to them that we don't think they can do it themselves. So what's better is when your kid's got a problem in a class to say, you know, what's the problem? What's bumming you out? Let's talk about it. Oh, wow. What kinds of things are you going to do about that? What do you, you know, do you want to brainstorm a little, or do you want to practice to me what you might say to your teacher? Do you want to write your teacher an email? And then maybe, you know, we can talk about it together. You know, what can I do to support you instead of what can I do to fix your problem? And if they're low, it's okay to have them feel low. Like they're not gonna, you're right next to them. You can sometimes just hugging them or just sitting right there through it with them is great because you're giving them the gift of saying, Oh, I feel it with you. I mean, I know how that feels. I know how hard that is. And sometimes we can even make up a story of how something similar happened to us, whether it did or not, because it gives us a sense of our kids realize that not only are we showing empathy, but we can relate to that. So I always try to come up with any story like,
0: Oh, I'm, I'm totally to made up. Like, Oh, that, totally reminds up. Me of, <laughs> that reminds me of that reminds me of that time when I was 10.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, the most embarrassing story for me was when I was in kindergarten, I had an accident. I wet my pants and I was going to dance class after school. Um, So I had my tights and leotard, like underneath my clothes to like, then get picked up by my mom to race to my ballet class. And somehow I just, It was in the bathroom as a little kindergartner and couldn't get everything off quickly enough. And so I wet my pants and I went, I was sent to the office to go call my mom and the phone rang and rang and rang and my mom didn't answer. So the only other phone number I had memorized as a kindergartner was my grandparents. So I called and my grandpa answered. And I said, is grandma there? And grandma was out getting her hair done. So I burst into tears and I told my grandpa that I was at school and I needed a ride home. And he said, I'm on my way. And the lady in the office told me to stand next to the heater so I could dry off. I mean, it was really sad. It was very okay. traumatic. So he picked me up and I told him I had an accident. And the first words out of his mouth were, oh, I remember when I was at your age, I had a terrible accident. I felt so uncomfortable. I was all wet. And you know, well, let's just go get an ice cream and go feel better. And I just thought... Oh my gosh, oh. embarrassing. And I don't think so I've ever great. told that story to anyone but my kids, but I'm just thinking like that is what we need from our parents is that. Oh, I know how that feels. That's awful. Or, oh, I can only imagine how sad and embarrassing that is. Now, granted, I was in kindergarten and, you know, but even in kindergarten, you're not wetting your pants anymore. You're just not. So it was mortifying. And then we got our ice cream and he brought me home and, you know, he took, I think he even took my clothes to his house and said they would wash them. So if I didn't want to tell my parent, I mean, it was very sweet, you know, he was so endearing. And um, I think that's what our kids need is they just need us to say, I feel it with you. And I'm here Mm -hmm. with you through it. And, you know, let me know what I can do to help you. That is what you want, not Mm -hmm. what I want. Yeah. So I think it's so weird. It's counterintuitive because it's selfish as a parent to fix everything, even Mm -hmm. though we think we're doing something selfless because it makes us feel good to fix it and, and solve it. But if they don't get a chance to solve it, I mean, you and I both know as adults, we know how good it feels to solve your own problem or to talk to your partner about something and you solve it together, but to solve all our kids' problems and bring them lunch every day that they forget their lunch or their homework, they're never going to have the responsibility to know how it feels like the day they forgot their homework and they didn't have you to bring it in, or they didn't have their lunch that day. They're not going to go hungry again the next day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You talk in the book about that. You truly seeing the child that you have, not the child you want to inauthentically create. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think that we can so unconsciously get into this territory really yeah. quickly where we are molding our kids to be a likeness of who we wish we had been. <laughs> I
1: know. And, you know, isn't it interesting, like what's <clears throat> familiar to us and what we had wished for ourselves. We wish for our kids, right? Like we wish for the things we didn't have, or we wish that they would have some of the same things we had if they're not like us or different and what what Jen and I really were saying in that quote which I think that's one of my favorite quotes too is the idea that you know each of our kids are such distinct individuals and if you are a parent to more than one kid you also know how different they can be despite coming out or if you have a sibling how different they are despite the same dna mold that they're yeah. coming out of and and really if our kids feel seen for what makes them tick and what they enjoy and what they're good at. And even what they're not good at, they will connect with you. That will come back to you in spades as a parent, right? So it's the trickiest thing for me is like, how do you engage with kids or children of yours that are so different from you? Like if you don't share an interest with your kids or you don't communicate in the same way, or there's a gender difference that you're just feeling a divide or whatever it is. I mean, we're not trying to be best friends with any of our kids or all of our kids or whatever it is, but we are trying to make them feel seen. And one of the best ways to do that is to just hook in to what it is they love and what makes them excited and what makes them tick and whether we love it or not, it's our duty to be interested and curious and let them teach us about what they love. And it's funny because, I mean, I have a son who is so interested in fantasy football and, you know, sports and this and that. And I, I don't follow any of the teams. I don't even really know the names of many of them, but I make sure to ask him how his fantasy team is doing and how is this going? And did that player's injury work out and whatever it is. (laughs) I don't really, I don't really honestly hope he's not listening to this. I don't care really that much about any of that genuinely, but he does. He does. And he cares that I'm asking. And I'm saying, I'm trying to share your interest. I'm trying to understand your interest and support your interest. And it's great when we have interests that connect and jive with our kids, that we all have this in common, whether it's food or whether it's a place you like to go, or whether it's a actual interest. I have, I'm interested in art history. And one of my kids really likes art history. So we could talk about that night and day, but you know, each of them is interested in such different things. And I hope that they feel that I support what their interest is. So I just encourage parents, Jen and I both do, to say, find out what it is that makes them tick, even if it's video games, even if it's scrolling on their phone. Ask them, what are you scrolling on? What are the sites you like to go to? Can you show me? Can you teach me this video game? I know I'll be terrible, but why do you tell me why you like it?
0: Who do you play against? What's your highest score? Oh, I I made myself learn how to play Minecraft. There you go. You're doing it. 10 out of 10, don't recommend.
1: I know, but you're doing it. That's it. That's the quote. And honestly, like, (laughs) would you have ever been interested in anything relating to that? If your kid wasn't a hundred percent, (laughs) no, but you know, if you care as a parent, I think that, that again, that's another one of those, we don't want carbon copies of ourselves. I mean, we know our own flaws. We don't want to pass those down to our kids, but, but what we do want is kids to feel seen and kids to feel Mm -hmm. heard and loved and appreciated. And we also want kids to know that we make mistakes and that we're sorry if we got it wrong the first time. I mean, my kids have seen me cry multiple times. My kids have heard me apologize to them. My kids know that I'm human and that I'm, I hope they know I'm doing the best I can. But even in the Parent Compass, Jen and I talk about our own mistakes. I have some technology addiction issues of my own. Um, that are related probably more to my work, but also to a a feeling of wanting to be connected to people that probably started more heavily during COVID. And I was getting teased by my kids about like my screen time, which talk about flipping the tables. My Mm -hmm. kids aren't that interested in social media, which is sort of funny. And yet here I am, you know, like posting on Instagram and doing stuff. And they're like, mom, like, I mean, we're, you know, put it away, put your phone away. And I thought, oh my God, these are my kids telling me. Like, I am missing life. I'm missing the human Mm -hmm. connection. I have to, you know, do something about that. And we talk about it in the book, in our tech chapter, that exact mistake and how I'm personally working on that. So Mm -hmm. even that connection and telling your kids, you know, I'm not perfect and I don't expect you to turn out like me because I've made lots of mistakes too, bonds you in a deeper way. You know, we don't have to be in control of them. They're not our robots. They're not our trophies. They're just little humans trying to grow in the world and, and hopefully they feel that you're doing the best you can too. And, and giving them as much love and support as, as you can.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You talk about having kids advocate for themselves in school. Can you talk about What age that typically starts, or parents should start to like really, really really good question Um, on their own?
1: Absolutely. I mean, can start advocating as soon as they can talk. I mean, not necessarily in school, but I mean, I guess in school, if they're sitting in the back row and they can't see, they can tell the teacher, you know, can I have my chair moved because I can't see or whatever it is. But we're talking about this can start when you go out to dinner as a family at a restaurant and your kid orders their own food and asks to have their water glass filled politely and goes up to get the crayons and the coloring sheet if they didn't get one delivered to the table. And when you go to the doctor or the dentist, they can tell them what hurts or what's wrong. You can fill that in after if they're young. But I make I was took my whatever 18 year old to the dermatologist the other day and we walked in and they're like name and birth date. And I started and then I was like, oh, and I gestured to him and he kind of rolled his eyes at me for a second. Then he's like, uh and he says his name and his birthday. And I thought Yeah. I mean, he's going to be going to the doctor totally alone. In fact, he can now, he doesn't even need Mm -hmm. me to take him there. How is he going to go to the doctor alone and make all these appointments for himself when he's in college, unless he knows to walk in. And I even told him the other day, he gets, um, you know, it's, it's probably a little too revealing, but he gets really squeamish with shots. Um, if he has to get an immunization and he, that's a personal battle that he's actually been fighting and he gets, I wouldn't even say squeamish, he gets this, like, you know, he almost faints and he gets this vasovagal reaction where his blood pressure drops. And, you know, when we've had to get a COVID booster or a vaccine or this or that, they have to lie him down. I mean, he's kind of embarrassed about it because he's 18 and, and we've tried a lot of ways to get through it. And so the best way to get through it is that he has to tell the doctor and the nurse and whoever before, when we get there, here's what I experience. I need to be lying down. I need to not look, please don't tell me anything. Please numb me before, you know, whatever it is he needs to it's do to do Great that. example for um, like, that's, that's how we're coping with it. We tried counseling, we tried some other things, and now it's really about self-advocacy and Again, I mean, when he's in college and he gets injured on the football field, I'm not going to be there to tell the nurse that that's going to happen. And if he just faints on the table, they're going to go, why did you not tell us that you're a fainter? You know how <laughs> we would have had the smelling salts right nearby <laughs> or whatever it is. So I think that oh, self-advocacy can start young. I think with teachers up until certainly up till middle school, we're the point person for the teacher. There's no question. I mean, our kids can share things, but we're the ones who were really as parents, corresponding with the teachers on what's going on kind of with our kids in the classroom. But by middle school, we start to have parent-teacher conferences where our kids either sometimes can sit in or our kids start to kind of advocate a little bit more for themselves. And that's the good time to be kind of practicing together if they have things they want to say and you're sitting with them in that meeting, if you know if they are in the meeting with you. But then by high school, there is absolutely almost no reason you should be emailing or calling your kids' teachers unless there is some really grave, like impropriety happening that they need adult intervention. You can be practicing with your kids. If they're nervous about a meeting they want to have, I encourage parents to sit down and help them write an index card to get their ideas in order to carry the index card into the meeting. Because sometimes we check in with our kids after the teacher meeting and say, how did it go? And they, then you say, Oh, did you ask about this? And they go, Ooh, ah, no, I forgot. And if it's on their index card, which they can absolutely bring in. Cause when you get nervous, you forget and you don't get through all your questions, um, you can help them strategize for that and role play and all of that. But they have to be the ones to do that and and to feel comfortable then when they get to college to try to get into a class they want to be in or to try to get out of a class they don't want to be in or whatever those things are, you're not going to be there. So they have to learn those skills to be comfortable. And it's really hard for kids who are introverted and shy. So they need a lot more practice but, um, mm-hmm. I think adults are, you know, and teachers in that profession for the most part are pretty, you know, they are not receptive to parent <laughs> involvement at that point and yeah, they shouldn't yeah. be. So yeah. that would be my rules. That totally <laughs> makes sense.
0: This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is IEPs, she talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and Get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school this episode is supported by earn in life doesn't happen bi-weekly so why should payday the money you earn now can be in your hands today with earn in earn in is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to 100 dollars per day or up to 750 dollars per pay period super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes. And now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, When I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download EarnIn today. It's spelled E A R N I N and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the EarnIn app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can where it says what podcast did you hear about the mom? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. EarnIn is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. In our last couple minutes, can you tell us a little bit about what it looks like at the end of this high school journey um, where we've grown our kids so far? What does it look like to being open to different options? There's a lot of different things that can happen after that last year of high school, whether it's a gap year, whether it's going right into a four-year degree program, whether it's going into trade or community college, can you talk about just being open and kind of bringing this back to like seeing the kid that you have right in front of you and honoring that?
1: Yeah. Perfect way to wrap up. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is the final chapter of our book um, without giving away too many spoilers. I mean, you hit on a lot of those kids take gap years, they go to the military, they do jobs and internships, some, you know, want to do some kind of cultural immersion. Um, And, you know, while a decade ago, if you heard a kid was taking a gap year, you would sort of raise your eyebrows like, ooh, you know, what kind of what happened or what went wrong? Or, oh, did they not get in where they wanted to go? You know, you sort of assume there was a problem. I think gap years in a decade have become, almost expected like, oh, you're not taking a gap year. Like that would make a lot of sense. You look what we've just come out of, you know, we just need to yeah. reset or whatever. So I think gap years are, are much more embraced nowadays, which is great. I think the idea of, yeah, appreciating your kid. I mean, my niece had great grades and great test scores and had a lovely choice of a variety of colleges. And she was very specific about wanting to go to a school. She was a musician and she wanted to play the bass guitar. And she found a particular teacher at a school that, you know, not everyone maybe would have even been aware of or known the name of. And it was this teacher that she was kind of going to the school for. And, and that was the right fit for her on her journey. And, you know, in the end, she didn't even study the bass guitar. She did some pre-veterinary stuff and then did HR or whatever it is. But the point was that she was picking kind of for her, what was right for her at that time. And I guess as parents, We have to kind of say to our kids, like, look, there's a lot of choices and the road is kind of curvy. And just because everyone in your class seems like they're all going to college, there's if you had a kind of rough ride in high school, community college is a fabulous option because you can take some courses to kind of improve your grades a bit you can still live at home and work part time and then you can apply to transfer to your state school or you know whatever for your college after you get your associate's degree um, you know if that's a route that you want to take and i just think that parents need to again not feel like there's any reason to be embarrassed or make excuses for the choice that your child and you probably made together because the parents are a part of the decision there's financial decisions involved. There's geographic decisions involved, all of that. But there's nothing worse than a parent saying my, my son goes to X college, but he got into YZ and Q college, but X college was giving him a better, more merit aid. And so it was really only, and it was sort of like these parents, I was like, why don't you just say my son goes to X college and he's loving it, you know, <laughs> or
0: he's so wrong, yeah, but yeah. this
1: is what he wanted. It's <laughs> sort of like, this feeling that parents feel embarrassed that their kid isn't at some place on a magic list or didn't quite get where they'd hoped they would. And the kids know that. I mean, they know yeah. that if you're saying that, or they hear that. And so we have to really be careful about our messaging and the way we talk about colleges and the way we talk about journey. And one of our biggest, um, uh, you know, mentors and just one of the women that we admire the most is Kelly Corrigan, who we were, who's written Tell Me More and several other New York Times bestsellers. She has a podcast. She has a PBS show. She's interviewed amazing people. She's brilliant and a great writer. And um, Kelly just did a wonderful program talking about, and she's written essays on the mistakes she made by how many times she used the word college over the four years that her kids were in high school. And that, that word just circulated Mm -hmm. so much in her home. And she regretted how much that word, how much weight that word carried in those four years. She wished she'd picked a different word to use that much like love or respect or joy or breathe or something that wasn't the word college. And, you know, when your 10 year old is already talking about it, you can divert to lots of other things um, Mm -hmm. and redirect. And there's plenty of time before he gets to that stage. And it's fun to visit campuses and see them and see what it is these kids who are going to college feel like they're working towards. But some kids go to beauty school. Some kids join the military. Some kids want to go to trade school. And I love the circulating meme. It's not even a meme. It's like a, a graphic that talks about like celebrating these trade school kids who are actually making more money
0: and not in debt Seriously. than the kids that go to college. <laughs> oh, well, I will tell you, as was someone who went and got a four-year degree at Gonzaga and then went back and got a two-year degree to be a personal trainer. I made a hell of a lot more money as a personal trainer, like multiple seven figures yeah. versus what I made with my four-year degree. I got out of my four-year degree program and was making $10 and 25 cents an hour. I got out of my personal training certification. and was making $65 an hour. <laughs> Go get your two-year degree. Go to get your trade school. There you go. So don't poo-poo it. Yeah. (laughs) That's the message. Oh my goodness. So good, Cindy. I so appreciate all this. So tell people where can they find you? Where can they get the book? Where can they connect with you online, get resources, et cetera?
1: Thanks, Sarah. So um, they can find us at, at parent compass on Instagram. We love for people to be on the journey and the wave with us. And then we do have um, social media parent compass. One is our Twitter. The parent compass is on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn with our names, which are on the Parent Compass book, Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis. And then finally, whenever this podcast airs, we'll have it on our website, which is parentcompassbook.com. And um, you can buy the book anywhere, but we love when people support their indie bookstores, their local but book, independent bookstores. And Jen and I love to pop into uh, book clubs. So if you are your if you guys ever create a book club and pick this title, we will Zoom in or come in person for the conversation and if people want to talk about it. So we have a, a book club guide that's downloadable and free on our website. it's also folded into the back of the second edition of the book. So if you get a first edition, you won't have the book club guide in the back. But if you get a second edition or second printing, you'll have a book club guide to, to guide you and, and, and build a village of like-minded parents that are kind of willing to talk about the parent compass movement. We come to schools too so anytime you know nice. you want to be in Seattle I'll hop on the plane and come speak at your school.
0: <laughs> oh I love it so many great resources. so we will link everything up in the show notes if you go to shamelessmom.com click on the episode with Cindy Muchnick and then we'll have everything for the book social media everything linked right there for people to click through. Cindy, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for being here. Tell people how you are currently showing up as a shameless mom.
1: Oh my God. Well, I loved your definition. Like I was sort of like, okay, I mean, what do do you mean by shameless mom? And you talk about it's helping understand and and, and develop their identity after motherhood. And what's really interesting is I think the way I've been showing up as a shameless mom is that, you know, I became a mother and we didn't really talk so much about this, but they handed me this baby and I kind of went, oh, like, this is it. Like, I mean, I hate to even say it because my son's 24 and he turned out just fine, but I was like, I didn't understand. I was young and I also felt like ill-equipped, but no one was really talking about postpartum. I probably had some of that going on back then, but just this feeling of like, oh, this is it. Now, what do I do? Like, do I just look at the baby and do their laundry? Like I just, it didn't feel natural to me. It didn't come so natural to me. And, um, and then I realized that you know, if I could still find myself in there and being a mom and I could, you know, give myself like this sort of side career where I felt like I was still using my brain for other things other than mommy things, um, that made me more of a shameless mom. And so I guess I would say writing books, um, through the years and having a college counseling business and really connecting with people outside of just kind of the motherhood hat. And I think I got better at it maybe as I got more of them and maybe as I, they got a little older. Like I felt like when my kids could start talking and communicating, I just understood it more. I I wasn't admittedly a great, you know, newborn mom. I just, I wasn't good at it. And anyway, they've all survived and they've all turned out just fine. But the point is, I think it's still finding yourself amidst this and finding what it is that still fills your tank as a mom. And it just makes us more patient. It makes us better. And, um, and if you can find a good partner to do it with you, that certainly makes it a lot easier. Kudos to the single parents out there because got to be incredibly difficult. So I would just say that, you know, finding things that, that still kept me, um, engaged and kept my brain working in ways that weren't just ABCs and one, two threes.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Thank you for that. Love it. Love it. Cindy, thank you for being here. This was a ton of fun. I know people listening learned a lot and I want everyone to go check out your resources and just thank you for spending time with us and for all the work that you and Jen are putting out into the world via the parent compass.
1: And right back at you, Sarah, you and your 737 podcast <laughs> just blows my mind. I mean, you're killing it out there too. So I feel I'm really grateful to be in your orbit as well. And I'm so glad to know you and, and I hope our conversations continue.
0: Definitely.